This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. It's time to get intimate with Checkpoint Intimates. Welcome back. You are listening to Checkpoint Gaming on Joy 94.9. And today we're joined by our special guest, Brian Fairbanks, a developer of Lost and Hound. How are you today? I'm great. I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Ami? Oh, pretty well, thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no um, worries. No worries. I wanted to talk to you today because you've made this game Lost and Hound, and it's actually quite special. Um, you're from Western Australia. And Mm -hmm. you're one of the finalists for the Australian Game Developer Awards because Mm -hmm. of the accessibility elements you've added to Lost and Hound. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what the game is and why it's been nominated as a finalist? You are, you know, obviously you're in control of this little corgi running around and you have access to this whole invisible world of scent that dogs in real life can access and we can't. Mm -hmm. And also the the way the hearing works, it it works. It's kind of like a dog simulator, really. But um, it's a rescue dog game, and the way that it works is that anything that is sent in-game is represented by a humming sound, um, kind of like an unnatural but pleasant humming sound. So mm-hmm. you spend your time in this game kind of like tracking people down and saving them. And it's like it's just like a really wholesome little adventure where all you do is try to bring safety, try to kind of kind of just like heal all of these you know situations around you where things have gone wrong and you're the only one that can help um and the accessibility measures in the game are every mechanic is represented by sound every piece of information comes to you both visually and through sound and a lot of people who play the games that are sighted they don't know that it's built that way until i tell them so i you know i say oh yeah i have a few uh, blind fans in whatever in this community and they're very surprised to hear that it actually looks so great i'm not sure if you've been listening or had a look at what the game is but you'll quickly notice from watching a trailer that lost and hound is so wholesome it's great for anyone to play it's very family friendly i mean you're playing as a dog those elements (laughs) making the game focused on sound so people who are visually impaired are able to play the game to its fullest and experience the same experience, I guess is the word to use, as part of the, as anyone else, mm-hmm. is absolutely fascinating. You're able to do that. How do you make a game so yeah. accessible like this? Well, the the biggest the biggest kind of part of this answer, and this is this is kind of why I made the game, is to kind of try to convince the game dev world that, that you know this is the way to do it is you make a seat for accessibility at the table from from minute one of design, right? So when you're thinking of a game, the minute your pen touches paper, the minute you start to, you know, uh, write on a Kanban board or whatever, the minute you start to plan your project, accessibility has to be there too. Because the way that we do it now is we finish a game and then look back and say, what can we do to make it accessible? And on the one hand, that's cool. But on the other hand, it ends up, kind of clumsy and it's retrofitting and accessibility is treated as an afterthought and it Mm. can't be anymore so the the reason that it was so easy to do this in in my game is 
from the absolute minute one of the design phase, accessibility was there in equal measure. Um, and it's kind of fused into the skeleton of the game. Um, and, and I think that's the only way forward for making accessible games, really. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with that. I mean, it's a hot topic for the last few years, especially with games that are challenging like Dark Souls and Elden Ring. When Elden Ring came out earlier mm-hmm. this year, this whole accessibility um, discourse popped up again. Very, very different games, obviously. But having mm-hmm. it from the day one dot and making sure your game is accessible for everyone is is so important and it should really be encouraged, I think. What do you think we can do as a community to make games more accessible? Like the current narrative is accessibility is expensive, mm. accessibility is time consuming. And those are two like money and time are the two things that studios don't have, especially towards the end of a project, right? So I mean if we can convince everybody that like A if you do it this way and you start with accessibility instead of ending with it, it's very, very, very easy and it's not time consuming. If you start with accessibility, it kind of takes all of the mm. pitfalls away from it. It's 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 a very easy and simple process if you make time for it at the very beginning. And secondly, developers, you know, they, they need to be told that accessibility, like we can't look at it. The same way we look at like a charity where it's like, oh, somebody's doing something really good over there. That's awesome. That's heartwarming. And then the conversation moves on. Right. There has to be a sustainability aspect to accessibility. We need to think of it as good business. Accessibility is good business, because if you're a game dev, the hardest part of your journey is going to be finding your first 500, 1000 fans. Right. That's the hardest part is getting people to care in the very beginning that stage is completely not a concern if you make your game accessible to people that have a smaller range of games available to them because they're going to be knocking down your door. They're going to be your first 500, your first 1,000 fans, um, and they're going to help you advocate for your own game because you know they've just been essentially just waiting for your content, and now it's available to them. Um, accessibility, you have to look at it like... There are millions of people that are just waiting for the day that your content is available to them. They're waiting for you to build a bridge for them to cross to get to your content. And when you do, um, it's it really makes everything like it just it's an incredible feeling when suddenly you just have this like a massive group of fans that that weren't there the day before. It'd be so good to see accessibility at this level adapted into more games like uh, we looked at obviously your game that's come out which is fantastic and australian made and then you got triple a games like the last of us who are doing that sort of stuff too but across the board if it was more even more balanced about who can play what games it'd be really great i think for everyone like you said not for just gamers but the business too yeah and I mean, if you if you think about it, it's also like like the the way the conversation is framed right now is that only people with severe disabilities should care about this stuff, and that's mm. not accurate because something like seventy percent of Netflix users have subtitles on. Um, something like I think it was like fifty to sixty percent of um, console users scale the text up to be slightly larger mm-hmm. um, in their UI. So like there are accessibility measures that aren't just for this small subset of the population that has severe disabilities. There are accessibility measures that make it more satisfying for everybody. And I think if we can just like pay attention to that, 
um, it's it's really that's the way forward for us. You've obviously got quite a bit of background in this. Um, what's what's your history with accessibility and just interactive media or games or in your work in general? Well, I started as an audio freelancer doing sound effects and music for games mm-hmm. and podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever. Um, and it was it was great, but it was a grind, and it it really gets exhausting after a while the freelance life. So I kind of wanted to transition to making my own game and when i suddenly kind of discovered the the genre called audio games that blind people play i was thinking like what if what if we could like serve two masters and make a game that is secretly an audio game right Mm -hmm. but openly is a game that like people with sight people with able-bodied people could play and they don't know that it's a game that was really designed with accessibility at, at its heart, which is what Lost and Hound is. It's a game that is fully visual, gives all the information you need visually. It just also gives it through audio. So, you know, I, in my opinion, that's, that's what the perfectly accessible game is. It's something that has accessibility as a natural feeling in the game. And it's not something that's like extra and it's not something that's tons of UI. So, like, I think that's the game, I guess I should say, that's the game Lost in Hound is trying to be, yeah. um, is a game that just has a very organic setting of accessibility in it. And um, I, I feel pretty confident in saying I'm, I'm getting pretty close to that kind of dream that I had a while ago when I left freelancing um, and transitioned into programming. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to getting there, or I may be there already. Yeah. Probably there. I mean, it's fascinating the <laughs> stuff you've been able to do with this game. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of those options, where do you go? Where do you start with trying to make a game that accessible? Do you get advisors on board? Do you just go deep into the textbooks? What do you do? Uh, I, I mean, it's a good question because the scary thing is there really aren't textbooks. You know, like there, there aren't a lot of educational resources for stuff like this, which yeah. is... Which is sad, but that's also not an indictment on anybody. It's just this is this is where we are in our development. You know, I, I look forward to a world in a few years where you can major at a university. You can study reading out audio descriptions for videos, and that can be your job, you know? I, I, I kind of look forward to that thing where the academic world will take this on as well. But for now, I mean, I would say the two things that I did were just just think about what the player needs in terms of information Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. down to literally every single thing as in where am I right now in the world? Is it really important? I know exactly where I am. If so, how can I send that to them in two different senses, visually and audio? How can I do that in my game? I do it through kind of like audio anchors. Like in the first big level, there's a river that bisects the whole map and you can hear it from almost everywhere. And that's how you kind of know where you are. Um, I also have a narrated compass in the game. So if people can just kind of take a step back and think at every moment, what does my player need to know? And is there something getting in the way of that knowledge, such as lack of sight or lack of hearing um, if you have a deaf player? Beyond that, I would say just, just reach out into those communities. Go into, you know, if make a tweet on Twitter that says, I don't know how to make my game more deaf accessible. How do I do that? And and hashtag deaf and reach out into these communities because people will absolutely a hundred percent support you and give you 
all the information that you need to make that game more accessible. They're really just waiting for more developers to do that. And they're very, very appreciative that you're thinking of them. As I mentioned earlier, you're finalists at the Actors. Woohoo! How's that feel? <laughs> yes. It feels really good. It feels like a real kind of moment of arrival, you know? Yeah. Like, this has been a long dev cycle. This has been like like five years. Um, and, you know, I'm at the end of it now. I'm still working on getting the able-bodied community to kind of pay attention to the game because something funny about accessibility is like, if someone hears this game is blind accessible, like immediately, like a light switch in their mind, they're thinking, oh, it's experimental. And it's not. It's not experimental. It's not niche. Like this game is for everybody. So, I mean, it's kind of the feeling of arrival that I have the <laughs> the recognition from the Agdas, even if it doesn't go any further. It feels really good because, you know, kind of lacking that feeling of validity, I guess, for a while if that makes sense. Oh, I hope you don't feel that way much longer. You should feel Valor's is such a fantastic <laughs> game. You've popped out here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's kind. What are you planning on doing next? Do you have future ambitions for games like Lost and Hound or are you trying something completely different? Well, I think the first step is to get a bigger audience. You know, I need a lot more able bot The game is very popular in the blind community. Yeah. I need to find my able-bodied audience because you know then it'll be sustaining in the sense that i can start a new project it really depends on what happens with people's reaction to the game if i get a good reaction i'll be looking into probably pumping out some real quick free dlc just as a thank you to the fans for lost and hound the dream is multiplayer and Mm. uh not exactly roguelike because the the game does have a good amount of story but something that is repeatable in content that you can play with a friend um, for the sequel, that that's an idea. And I'm also working on a blind accessible submarine game called Legacies, where you're kind of like an ecological vigilante. And Ooh. you are just like a you know ragtag team of scientists in this clunky old submarine. And you're trying to kind of disrupt the opportunities of people that are trying to plunder the ocean. Because one, one of my favorite things about Australia is the incredible marine science output mm. that it has comparable to the rest of the world. And I'd love to be able to highlight that and kind of gamify it. That's pretty interesting. I'm keen to play that submarine game. Ooh. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Lost and Hound. Where can you play it? Where can you find it? It is on Steam right now. The next stop is um, Xbox. I'll be porting it over to that in the near future. You know, if you want to find any of my socials, just look for Lost and Hound and you'll probably find them. Lost and Hound Facebook. You'll find Lost and Hound Twitter tiktok instagram just google lost and hound and whatever you want to find the game on you'll find it thank you brian fairbanks for joining us today lost and hound you you're listening to checkpoint gaming on joy 94.9 You've been listening to Checkpoint Intimates. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.